Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Hello. Nick Argyris, and this Hello. week that's so annoying. Hello. And this god damn it. Hello. And this week I am looking for the best book about the next state in our 50-part series about states. That's right. Books that have some sort of loose connection to the state that we have selected for that week. And this week, of course, is the main state. Maine. <laughs> Main squeeze. Um, and to help me. Heads. Oh, okay. We're just, no, no, go yep. ahead. Tell us. He's going to help you, Nick. He's going to help you. I don't need any help. <laughs> He's got oh, this. This I week, Nick this. brought two books. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. Uh, and to help me. <laughs> Our two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Oh, hi, Nick. I'm Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher. And, you know, uh, as of recording this, we just posted our first part of the 50-part series. Yes. And I was reading the podcast description underneath. And mm-hmm. I think when we say the first part of our 50-part series, it's like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, ha, ha. Right. But in that podcast description, okay. it just said the first part of our 50-part series. Yes. <laughs> which... It yeah. concerns me a little bit. Why because are you concerned? I don't understand I, Joe's I think, point right I now. I just think it might scare the lit head. Like, I think 50 books about states. Well, okay. well, we're not doing it sequentially. No, and I think if you're a lit head, you would see 50 parts and you'd say, good, that means at least 48 more episodes right. of, you don't know, right. Lit, okay. before right. these hey, guys we're, we're get rich in. and fall the money. This is going to be a great year. <laughs> That's what these lit heads oh, are thinking. God. My name's Joe Holshue. Lit heads, they made me bring another state book. So I brought one about May and I brought the Cider House Rules by John Irving, 1985, 700 pages long, Nick. Beat okay. that, Ian. You want? Um, you will receive no extra points for that. Hello, lit heads and Nick and Joe. I'm a high school English teacher. My name is Dr. Ian DeYoung, but you can call me. Paddlesmith Water Captain, because this week <laughs> I read Dr. John McPhee's nonfiction book, The Survival of the Bark Canoe, uh, which we, is a wonderful story kidding me? <laughs> about making and paddling canoes. We should call this McPhee cast. We're done. This is me applauding John McPhee. <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs> Guys, listen, I have a question for you. Let's get we serious. Like You've had a lot of fun already, but I want to ask you a question, an important question. This is based on my book, and it is this. <laughs> If you were a boat, what kind of boat would you be? Oh, I, I, I know. I know. I know. I know. How do you? Okay. Go. How do you know? The obvious. Just quickly. Well, keep going. The obvious what answer is tugboat. Tug? The obvious answer is tugboat. A tugboat? Do, do, yes. Do, 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 you want to be the bitch of all boats? You have to. <laughs> you do, mean do, small <laughs> and powerful oh and my adorable? God. Yes. No. I want to be that boat. You I have to, to laboriously drag these lethargic oh. beasts through the ocean. Yeah, drag them around like they're my <laughs> bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's. Oh, wow. Guys, I mean, that is honestly surprising. I mean, Joe, I would have thought maybe like a barge, something you could pile corn on and slowly move up. <laughs> there's right. a that, there's a person that lives on the river by us that um, has a restored tugboat, and every time that's it goes cool. by, I'm so jealous yeah, of it. Like, cool. I just think it's so so cool. Backstory, yeah, origin story for tug yeah. for tugboat Joe. There it is, tugboat Joe. <laughs> that's, what they call that. that's a good name. 
Um, I like the idea of like, okay, so I know what boats I wouldn't want to be. Like okay. none of that what? Christopher Columbus boats. I would never nope. want to be one Nothing of those. With the tall mast. Yeah, the no Santa way. Maria. That's out. No. I think no. I like the idea of one of those, um, like just uh, boats that only fits one person. Oh, me. Right. A, a kayak? Like a sailboat Yeah, kayak? I guess like a kayak, but like oh, nobody man. else around. Very good. Sure. Well, I'm yeah. really sorry, guys. Neither of those are the correct answers. Joe, for you, we're looking for um, the Lusitania, famously sunk in the oh, North Atlantic Smart. Ocean. Smart. And Nick, for you, we are looking for a skin-bound coracle. So uh, <laughs> nice try. Better luck next time, boys. But uh, this has been another round of If You Are a Boat. That was Joe's nickname in high school. Skin down coracle? Skin no, bound talk about Joe. Joe. <laughs> well, this has been Boat Talk. Uh, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly, strongly podcast. Because I don't know why. And um, <laughs> we're every we're men of week, culture is why. I, yeah, because we're men of culture. Because it was some dumb thing we did 80 weeks ago, and we just stuck with it. <laughs> it's true. Where every week I pick a theme, and Ian and Joe bring a book recommendation. Uh, that uh, they fight over. They, they, they vie for my attention. Um, it's mm. quite sad. Yeah, pick uh, me, pick me. <laughs> yeah, every week. As they search for my approval, though, there are some rules to keep us on track. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, gentlemen. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. That one's just Joe. for you. And rule number three, only winning matters, Vince Lombardi. Um, <laughs> because we will have a winner today. Uh, and, um, I'm excited to hear about these, uh, books about Maine. We'll really have two winners though. We'll really have two winners, three winners. If you count them one, the person whose book Nick chooses arbitrarily two, the yes. lit heads and three, right. I think the biggest winner is Maine itself because, oh, wow, um, sure. clearly, clearly this, this podcast has an influence on mm -hmm. the book world. People listen to the podcast and then they go out and buy books. Yeah. Um, Joe, do you know of any instances of that happening recently? Uh, you know, I did notice that after we did our New York Times bestsellers episode, the next week I checked the New York Times bestsellers yeah. list and they both were on it. So yeah. correlation, yeah. Yeah. causation. Yeah. And it was crazy too because they were like on that list like almost is like even before the podcast episode was released. <laughs> well, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. I think it's just, it's, tomato, it's a game. Go just goes to show you currently, uh, statistics that I just made up show that Maine is the 31st most visited state. And I expect them to rock it up in the rankings. I think we need yeah. All right. I'm afraid that they might not recover from this publicity. <laughs> I heard that Stephen King moved there just because we were doing this episode. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh, yep. Uh, Joe, man. your 30 seconds has started. Absolutely. Nick, Ian, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England, you could a not ask for a book that is more Maine than this. It has logging camps, lobstermen, misty fields, apple cider, snowy metals, crisp air, ambling rivers, and so many orchards. Uh, it also has other things like orphanages, unwanted pregnancies, incest, drug use, physical assault, war, secret abortions. But oh. I promise it feels like super cozy the whole time you're reading it. I always... um. Whenever I see the title of this book slash movie, I always think like Cedar House Rules, like yeah, <laughs> Cedar House Rules, same. baby. Yeah. Like there's a jock at this uh, orphanage. Um, yeah, it, famously jock orphan. Mm -hmm. Like like for instance, you know that you know that phrase WTF, famously a, mm -hmm. a, a podcast starring Mark Mar Maron. Mm -hmm. um, when I when I knew, learned that, 
I also learned FTW, which means for the win. Right. But I just thought it was the the words that are in WTF, but just backwards. <laughs> and it's that doesn't make any sense, but that's what I thought it was. Yeah, you know, some some confusions just linger on and on. Mm-hmm. I thought um, goats were male sheep until I was like 22 years old. Oh, <laughs> and boy. I grew up on a farm. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, wow. Um, thank you so much, guys. Um, Ian, your 30 seconds is started, I guess. When Henri Vaillancourt started building canoes from scratch, nobody was doing it. When John McPhee wrote this book several years later, well, still nobody was building canoes from scratch because it's really hard to do. In his trademark style, which is deliberate and precise and focused and funny, John McPhee's book, The Survival of the Bark Canoe, describes the canoe building process, then the good stuff, chronicles a transformative canoe journey through the main woods and lakes and rivers and stuff. All right, let's talk about that first. That sounds nice. It sounds very relaxing. I'm excited to hear about John McPhee. Ian. Yeah. Are we going to learn anything about Maine? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I noticed we were a slightly uh, missing some content in, in terms of like uh, our theme when we did our Florida mm-hmm. week. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, here mm-hmm. we're doing this week about Florida. And it's like, yeah, yeah. they didn't say anything about Florida. Oops. <laughs> Which I don't think surprised anybody, but it did leave me feeling like I, I wanted a empty. little bit more. It left you yeah. feeling Just empty. Dead yeah. inside, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, and that's every week for, for us, but um, more specifically, yes, we, Great. we are going to learn some about right? Maine. Uh, I will ask you guys, though, I, I did ask to be referred to as Paddlesmith Water Captain. So. Paddlesmith Water Captain. I've I've been doing it. Nick, very rude. Um, Nick's preferred, or Ian's preferred name is Paddlesmith, and I will be honoring that request. Thank you. Dr. Paddlesmith. <laughs> <laughs> let's just call him dr patty for short <laughs> all right patty um okay so well, yeah you're gonna learn something about fancy canoes you're gonna learn something about maine um this book hang, hang with me for a second the book starts in new hampshire <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this has been noted <laughs> <laughs> it does start in New Hampshire. Right. I would say the, the the majority of this book is in and about Maine. Um, but this guy, uh, Henri Viancourt, does live and work in, or did live and work in, uh, in New Hampshire, which, as you recall, is directly next door to to Maine. Um, so he builds canoes, and and there is a chunk of this book which is. It's canoe building focused and it's it's very classic John McPhee. John McPhee, as we've discussed, does this thing where he says, I'm going to convince you of the value of this obscure thing. Oranges, let's go. Uh, this tennis game, here we here we go. Let's 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 roll. Um, the a specific kind of airship, why not? Fuck it. So some of this is just like him doing his thing yeah. with a bark canoe. <laughs> classic. Yeah, classic I mean, like, book selection. Yes, I could probably talk about that. Fuck it. Here's 150 yeah, well, pages. And except, except, except he does like this Curses ridiculous lot, amount too, of research so yeah. that he knows things like, he knows like words like mortis and tenon, and he can use them. What do those mean? Uh, they're, they're different joints. Oh, only you he use can use them. When you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. you know, he's he's the, But um, so some of this book, like the beginning of this book is classic McPhee. Let's talk about canoes. So there's some history of canoes and some technical stuff. Um, canoe design, like what wood do you use for building? Here's the best bark you use for covering a canoe. Boom, get your attention. 
Yeah, yep. right. The real right. Stuff, right. The right. Starts, the good stuff starts with front. the wood. Doesn't bury the lead. Yep. Well, I, I do think the I think the premise is cool that basically he's got this guy who is the only American building canoes the traditional way. It is an art that has entirely disappeared. And he says, so this art has entirely disappeared except for one dude. So I talked to that dude. And he does spend some time with, with uh, Viancourt and he, he uh, watches him doing some canoe building and he talks to him about the process. And um, it's a cool process. Viancourt makes the canoes entirely out of wood. There's no, there's no nails. There's no screws or rivets. He wow. uses three, three hand tools. He uses an axe and all for poking holes and things and a crooked knife. And that's yeah. it. Um, so it's very like primitive. It's very, it's a cool premise. Can you buy a crooked knife or do you Does have to the crook knife, it yourself? I also have questions about this crooked knife. Does yeah. it have to be crooked or is it just the only knife that he had? It's gotta be crooked. There's no way it doesn't <laughs> have to be crooked. <laughs> he just, it's, it's a Pacific kind of knife. It's a Pacific kind of knife that you, you need it to be crooked to right. do the, the cutting things that get in that those corners. Yeah. Um, right. But you can, you can get them. There's a, a little brief section where it talks about how he mails Written in 1975, he he can't buy things online naturally, so he mails he does a mail order purchase of these knives. Um, this is kind of a specialized tool that he uses. The crook, but the cook the crooked knife is a bar and restaurant, and there's three locations in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what he's talking about? This is so the place he, that he does he does. Is this where he makes is, the boats? Yeah, in the bar and restaurant. I mean, it was yeah. just a restaurant back then, but now they got their liquor license. Is so. this gentleman? Um, I just like to dive right into the ignorant questions. Is this gentleman uh, a Native American man? No, he's is not. This, is there what's is there any sort of connection to that history, or is sure. this the first there, white oh, absolutely man there to make yes. the boat? Okay, <laughs> he's just he's just <laughs> rampantly appropriate. First one ever. Figured out how to make. <laughs> he invented this boat. It's pointy no, it's, on both ends. His story is really interesting um, because. He he starts building canoes and he's a teenager. He has no guidance. He has he's just like he he looks at pictures. He just likes um, it. He likes it. And then as time goes by, you know he he connects with people with Native Americans in Canada. Well, I guess they'd be uh, First Nations people in Canada, and they give him tips. But a lot of the stuff that he figures out, he figures out by looking at bark canoes by trial and error. And by a lot more trial and error. And then some more trial and error. There's a significant like, amount of trial it's and like, error. It's like, hey, do you know how I learned to build canoes? I did it for 30 years. <laughs> his first his first canoe, he builds it. He yeah. takes it out on the water. He's like, that's fun. And then he chops it to pieces with his axe because he's like, oh, I can do better. That can I, I can improve that. that. Good for him. So so he is uh, can, he's very knowledgeable about the Native American sort of different styles. There has been history done of the different styles of canoes that Native Americans would make, but there at the time that that uh, McPhee writes this, there are no um, Native American or white canoe manufacturers in the traditional style in the U.S. Um, Which is a whole nother extremely depressing topic. Joe, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, All right. Is it about canoes? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Good. I'm ready. Good. I mean, I feel like Ian's the one that brought the canoe book, but I'm I'm ready. Yeah. Um, okay. So. You, you now we understand these canoes beautifully handcrafted, not even a piece of metal in them. They could go right through a metal yeah. detector at the airport, no problem. Yep. Easy, you could smuggle it right on a plane. Would you take one of these beautifully crafted canoes for your backyard to get right near the river, or are you still taking oh. that tugboat? Oh well, well, wait. Is it 
do I have to have it instead of a tugboat, or can I just replace my I'm, canoe with one of these beautifully well, handcrafted canoes? No, I think well, the question couldn't have been any clearer. Yeah. Yeah. You get to pick one uh, of those two options. Tugboat? Uh, this beautifully handcrafted canoe or a tugboat? Yeah. I'm taking a tugboat. I Still with like the tugboat. I could pull Ian. like a hundred canoes. <laughs> wow, he is like attached. Wow. I, pull I think if we learn nothing else today, it's that Joe is attached to his romantic tugboat. Yeah. That's, That's great. probably why they call him Tugboat Joe. Yeah, sometimes I'm going to get a tugboat and you guys aren't going mean, to be allowed on it. <laughs> That's why he, he he signs off every time with toot toot. That's me, Tugboat Joe. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my classic sign off. Where can okay, I take so you? Like, you guys, yeah, you guys. Yep. Let's talk about this book some more. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yep. We've talked about the canoe making, and that's fine. But this is really the beginning of the book. And the bulk of the book is this incredible, weird, awesome canoe journey through 150 miles of Maine rivers and lakes and portages. Can't do that on a tugboat. Yeah, no, you're right. You cannot, you try and, you cannot you, portage a tugboat. That is you true. try and portage a tugboat, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to be mooshed by that tugboat. <laughs> a tugboat could um, it mooshed or mooshed? No. Mooshed. Uh, um, okay, great. I'm excited yeah. for this journey. I didn't know you brought a yeah. journey book. So let's it's keep a going journey here. book. It's yeah. see when I, when I picked this book up and it's kind of framed as like, Oh, this is the last, the last surviving canoe maker. But the really cool thing is that this canoe maker has never gone on a long multi-day canoe trip. Wait, what? At That's all. crazy. He That's takes like- little, little zips around lakes on his, on his canoes, but he's never gone on a multi-day canoe trip. And especially in any canoe, much less one of his own. It's not so, that he hasn't. It's that this is his first. Well, yeah, but it sounds like he's been doing it I for mean, quite a while. You're died hard to argue with that logic there, yeah. Nick. So, yeah, so yeah. All right. You did. I love Good it. Job. I love yeah. it. So this book, unlike I think a lot of the other McPhee that I've seen, is a personal narrative because McPhee goes on this journey with this greenhorn canoe yeah. guy and a couple of his couple of the canoe boys buddies. So we get this rundown of, of Viancor's canoe building skills. And then we get to this, this good, the good part, um, 150 miles long. They keep looking for moose. I'm not going to tell you if they see a moose or not. I will say the quest for moose is incredibly satisfying. It is one of the most. Yeah. Well, Sounds like they definitely, they, definitely find that moose then. Uh, um, hard to say. Maybe it's like a bear. It's paid off so, so well. Okay. Like the, the way the journey, but this trip, this trip, is I think the word odyssey is a good word for it. Mm. Um, can I tell you guys some of the dangers that they encounter, the things that they encounter? Yeah, the word's been action. thrown around a lot lately. Odyssey? I mean, I, I talked about odysseys like when I talked about my whatever. I'm Doesn't sorry, I didn't, know. Yeah, no, about Joe, I, I didn't, didn't know. Joe, I didn't know you had a, 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 <laughs> a copyright. I, I got the market <laughs> corner. Odysseys. Odysseys. Ian can't just come in here talking about his tugboat <laughs> canoe. Joe yeah, okay, with his okay, tugboat you know odysseys what? over here. Fine. Fine. You should call the it word canodicy. Canudicy. No, I will not say the canudicy. I will say the word <laughs> Iliad comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. I love it. What about the word spike? Uh the word spike comes to mind. Spike. Um, spike is a I know, but spike, I'm I'm I am i am hearing you. I'm saying a different word. Spike spike like the uh spike that punctures the bottom of their canoe in the oh, middle no. of the wilderness. They come to this weird, like old logging camp, which is all ruined and there's just rusty iron and trash everywhere. And they put the canoe down in this groove and they're going to like push out into the lake 
And the way he describes it, he's like, little did we know that underneath, like about an inch below the surface of the canoe, there were two long spikes. As soon as we stepped into the canoe, they punctured the bark bottom and water is everywhere. And the guys have to let water in the boat. You can't let water in a <laughs> it's boat. the first that's rule of boats. First rule of boats. <laughs> no water. I think so. I think that's boats 101. Um, okay, so that's not great. No, <laughs> not because they're not like they can't just go buy a new canoe. They're no, out in the middle of nowhere. Especially one of those nope. ones. It sounds can't like it's a Can't build one. Work. Takes too long. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so keep going. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. That's pretty cool. And then like they have, they like they fix it and there's like, right. will it break? Will it not? Well, then on later the on. They're they're yeah the spike they're spike. they're canoeing across a lake and they're getting close to an island. Guess what happens? The More boat spikes? breaks again. Um, no, no, no spikes. This guy maybe doesn't make great boats. Is <laughs> well, this is the, the fascinating <laughs> thing because he's making <laughs> these canoes fucking breaking. <laughs> he's been selling them for thirty years and they're just shit. <laughs> in, in 1975, um, in well, let's be clear, 10 years, not 30 years, but still 1975, he's he's selling these boats for eight hundred and fifty dollars a pop, which oh is God. a fair amount. Oh, you yeah. know, these and and he's he's not saying these are decoration pieces, but he's never taken one out for a long term trip. So he does. And yeah, they don't they don't necessarily like oh, they no. do OK for most of it, but they have a couple of moments like when the, the seam just starts coming apart. Does this book at all get into the idea that maybe this way of building boats isn't, it should die? Sure. Yes. And yeah, that, it does. And that there's new technologies and now we sacrifice craftsmanship for, Tugboats. you know, time and et cetera. Yeah, it does. It does get into that. This is this is a kind of a and so so our, our main canoe boy, Viancor, would say, right. no, absolutely. Uh this this is this is still the best way to do it mm-hmm. there is no better it's 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 lighter yeah it's yeah. it's 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 less heavy than any other canoe manufacturer it's better for the environment um it's more easy to design it's more easy to fix um it doesn't look stupid like he says the only thing the only concession he makes to like modern technology is <laughs> anti spike technology <laughs> you just got to coat the bottom of the canoe in these metal plates no the only concession he makes is when it comes to patching he says there's two ways you could do it the old fashioned way where you get some sap and then you boil it for several hours and you patch with the sap or you could just get regular old asphalt, regular pitch sure, like yeah. roofing tar do that so he this does guy's that tarring his boat um I when I hear about like old things like this, all I can picture is that there's some sort of like upkeep on this boat that is like obscenely laborious. Like they have do they have to like wax it every 20 minutes or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, pull off. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta wax the boat. That was a good half mile. Let's give it another shine. No, no, there's not. Like it, it can ram into a rock and it won't break. Um it can sit in the sun and it won't dry out and crack. Um, it's a, it's a good, durable, a good, durable canoe throughout the book. They're fighting these, these huge wind storms, um, that when you're paddling into the wind, it's nearly impossible. When you're paddling a light birch bark canoe into the Not wind, problem it's which, which is basically a sail. Like, like you're basically, you, yeah. And like, it's true. You don't have this problem with a steam powered tugboat. So <laughs> I think Point score one in the efficiency column for tugboats. Mm-hmm. Um, How, okay. Here's a question. Column. How fucking beautiful is this boat? Is it beautiful? Oh, it's really, it's really I gorgeous. Bet it's beautiful. Is and, it made out of wood? 
It's made out of, well, it's 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 made out of wood. It's covered with birch bark, and so it's got a lot of. What are you scowling for? Like little, yeah, cur- like uh, white curls. Um, no, you're no, looking that's at the, okay. the furrow of my brow here. I'm birch yeah, bark. Like, yeah. how, is it He's like, like it's white and it's curly? Yeah. And- well, he says he says when you take the when you take the bark, it's not just like kind of peeling off the curls. You strip off a whole tree's worth of bark. And McPhee like comments, "Yeah, you're killing a tree every single time you make one of these canoes." <laughs> well, um, you know. It's renewable. When you take it, I mean, this is making things out of wood. So anyway, when you take the bark off in the summer, it's lighter colored. When you take it off in the winter, it's darker colored, but it kind of seasons to this really like rich coffee color. And uh, the Native Americans, this is one of the things that Viancourt learns from them, they would decorate using porcupine quills and a variety of other things. So hmm. routinely, these guys are paddling their big like 20 foot canoes around remote main lakes and other random canoers, tourists, are just watching them with their jaws on the floor because a, they've yeah. never seen a boat like this before. Yeah, Sorry, it just occurred to me that I'm not sure if this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it but is. I, think that's like, I that's find like it very interesting. John of course. Yeah. Well, this is, the, this is the gamble that I think McPhee does. McPhee says, here's this thing that you have not thought of Ever. and that you probably haven't experienced I can make it interesting for you. Or it is it is intrinsically interesting is what I think he is. I don't think it's like I can make it interesting. I think it's like it's like you have not examined this closely enough. I guarantee this is interesting. It just hasn't been told to you in the right way yet. So they they go th- they go through this, right? They go through and it's just the whole thing is a perfect storm of <laughs> boats. It's a it's a perfect storm of boats. It's boat it's storm. true. Hard to that's that's correct. That is accurate. Every um, boat enthusiasts unite. This delivers. But I also think I also think I also think nature enthusiasts unite because Ooh. this is this is so I've brought a couple of nature Maine books facts. Yeah, I brought some books some books to the podcast um, that are about nature. Uh, I like right. nature books. Mm-hmm. I brought uh, Edward Abbey's Desert like Solitaire. Mm-hmm. I brought Aldo Leopold. Aldo Leopold's San County Almanac. Even um, the Hemingway books that I brought have been kind of you know hymns to a certain kind of engagement with nature. This this nature is so it's just it's incredible. It's it's I think the kind of thing that that we have no real frame of reference for 1975. There's no cell phone service. Um, there's no, there's, there's like largely no roads uh, or, or access to this back country. They're doing back country canoeing. He has these beautiful passages describing the way that the lake looks when the wind stops and just goes glassy flat in a matter of like minutes. He talks about moose. He talks about the history of kind of this area. He has this incredible passage about loons and the song and the call of the loon. Um, and like Get what it does hung. to you. <laughs> it's great. It's there's it's, a loon it's, chapter. He is he is a loon. He's a certified loon, a loon himself. He um it's kind of dark, it's kind of funny, it's uplifting. But these are like these are people, these are humans, these are not superhumans, these are not Hemingways. You know, old men triumphing over fishes. This is. <laughs> Do you guys ever get recommended on YouTube? Um, maybe survivalist videos or people that go out to the middle of the woods and build cabins and things like that. Yeah. 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 Yes. I, 
I think that, that I think it has the same appeal is this right? It's like, mm-hmm. hey, watch me take my axe and um, nothing else and build this log cabin. And you just kind of sit and it's peaceful and he's in nature and it's impressive. Uh, I don't know. Ian is going to disagree. Yeah, he looks well. He looks sad. I might, I might, I might say to some extent yes, uh, close, but, but, Joe. But no, that's to not a right. certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair, Ian, we haven't read the book. <laughs> that's true. I think so, Joe. I hear what you're saying, but I think that might that kind of survivalist <laughs> no, don't, don't thing. Don't pander to me. I hear what you're no, saying. No, 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 <laughs> no. I know what you mean. Okay, I, 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 I feel your pain. That's this a really is, good point. That's more Hemingway. That survivalist who goes out with his axe or with his, you know, matches, just using matches and conquers the wilderness. That's Hemingway. That's the uber skilled kind of powerful fantasy of like nature can be bent to our will. These guys, they got nothing. Like when the wind is blowing the wrong way, they are on shore. (laughs) <laughs> like they have, they have, they, they cannot go yeah. conquer that because nature is bigger than them. I think this is the difference between Hemingway and his tradition and McPhee, because Can McPhee I? is saying these guys got, these guys are small in the face of a massive nature. Yes, Nick. Can I point out maybe another difference? I wish you would. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this one is nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And exactly. I think most of Hemingway is fiction. Is so fiction. maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that could be a factor. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read it. I think that could be a factor. I think that's a really good point. So this sounds interesting. It is. And it, it's, it's short. New it's author, 114 pages. New author. New author. Yeah. Fresh. Fresh topic. He's done it again. Are there it's any great. oranges in this book? Um, oh, I, like, does he just recycle some old content? I'm <laughs> curious to know if he like drops Easter egg, like orange Easter eggs. Sure. Not really. This is Not kind really. of there's there's no reference. There's no scene where like the guys are watching a, a, a tennis game on on TV and they're like, huh? You know what? The levels of this game are pretty. Incredible. <laughs> I, I could sure go for a glass of orange. And they t- no, there are no oranges. Um, there mm-hmm. there are, there are no oranges. This is pretty standalone. Okay. Uh, and like I say, I think this is kind of unique in in what I've read of McPhee. McPhee isn't usually involved. He's not usually narrating himself. In- in his yeah, books, main character type, of but thing. this one, this one, he's there, and so he can say, like, he can kind of tell about the 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 interpersonal strife and and the the, the people going back and forth, and he has he has a, a voice and a character in this. Joe, you know what a portage is, right? What um, the fuck? I know what it is so well that I would call it a portage. Okay, I Nick, would also call it a portage. You would not. Oh yeah, it's very good with a little maple butter. It's a little <laughs> dish out of Maine. I'll tell you about it later. It's not my turn. You make some, make make some for us. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, Lidheads, uh, the the um, the prize of the month. If you send us your box tops, is <laughs> that Nick will ma- <laughs> Nick will mail you a portage. You will not mail it in dry ice, so it'll be several weeks old no. by the time it gets to you. But Joe, is it actually pronounced portage? Um, so when I was in high school, I did a canoe trip, like a Canadian canoe trip Jesus up through the Quitico, <sighs> and we were hanging out with a bunch of French Canadians, and it was definitely called Portage there. Well, but every time I say it in America, people look at me like I'm an idiot. Maybe it's a French Canadian thing. Yeah, counterpoint. Those are French Canadians who will, of course, pronounce it in a French Canadian way. I'm going to say Portage. If you're in portage. a boat, if you guys are in a boat and you run out of navigable water, you can't boat in your stream or your lake anymore. You pick up your canoe and you put it on your shoulders and you hike through the forest to the nearest navigable water. And every boat, like every kind of non-motorized boat person 
talks about these like they are hell. And he describes them kind of as, as hell, hellish. The portages or portages in uh, Survival of the Bark Canoe almost vanquish. They almost like knock out our, our main characters. This book is not about how these muscly muscle men picked up, you know, these, these, um, these, you know, paddlesmith water captains just picked up their boats and spun them around on their finger and ripped off through the forest, whistling a merry tune. Mm -hmm. This is a book about putting your head down, take, taking one step, taking another step and getting it done one step at a time. And also eating jerky that is covered with mold. Howdy partners. Hey, Hey, Ian, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Too bad you're wearing the black hat, son, and I'm faster on the ground than you. If you haven't guessed it yet, Litheads. (laughs) Yep. Next week, I'd like a cowboy book. Oh, I'm so excited for this. I think this, hey guys, we have some stinker themes. This is absolutely not one of them. I am so excited for cowboy books. This is inspired in part by a reader recommendation uh, from Lithead Du Jour, Gina. Gina, good job. Gina in the house. Uh, Gina recommended Lonesome Dove many, many moons ago. And I have now had the chance to read Lonesome Dove. It was also made into a film. I will be talking about Larry McMurtry's book, Lonesome Dove, which having I haven't finished it yet. I assume the doves are going to show up at some point, but right. <sighs> well, it's right there in the title. I assume there's doves. There's probably doves, right? There's got to be doves. I think there's one dove. There's not yeah, it's doves. Lonesome, Otherwise, course. it would just oh. the book would just be called Doves. Yeah, no, right. They wouldn't oh. be lo- lonesome or like friendly, friendly but, doves but, but, together. But it's plural, so it had, maybe it's two doves. No, no, it's it's Lonesome Dove singular. Lonesome Dove yeah. singular. Oh, so, Lonesome Dove. Yeah, Nick is right. Yep. That's a good title. That's a good title. I think a lot of these cowboy books, as I was looking this week, have really good titles. Oh, yeah. You're bringing, you're bringing, um, what is it? Shoot 'em up McShooterson? Yeah. yeah, That's a great title. Um, yeah. Like, like you look at old cowboy books and it's like Riders of the Purple Sage, which is just super evocative. Um, I'm bringing a book that I haven't read yet, but I'm excited. I've read the author before. It's called Butcher's Crossing. And just, I know you guys like it when I describe the covers of books. On this cover, there is a bison, kind of off in the distance. Um, there's big red capital letters that say Butcher Crossings, Butcher's Crossing. Probably and then there's two rifles blood. that make a cross. Like, and not an X, like two oh. rifles make a, like almost mm. like a red cross cross. Mm. It's pretty good. It's by a guy named John Williams, who's like kind of a, a writer's writer. Yeah, like if you know, you know Boy, kind you of guy. And I think this writers, is his writers. only, <laughs> I think this is his only Western. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to read it. The Cider House Rules. This is what I know about it. Okay. Uh, Spider-Man's. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man Spider-Man is, it, yes. is it is Good. it is it Cider House or Spider House? The Spider House <laughs> rules. Spider House rules. Uh the butler from Batman. Spider-Man's the there. From Batman is also in it. You're doing a great job. Uh, <laughs> uh Charlize Theron, famous South African Academy Award winner, also in it. And Paul Rudd, America's favorite astronaut. Is Paul Rudd in that movie? Yeah, he okay. is. And he's dressed up in like a good looking military outfit the whole time. Good for him. Yeah, he looks so nice in it. Because it's not like, it, it's not like, 
it's not like the dress whites or whatever it is, right? Like he's not no. dressed up in like the dressy military outfit, but it's like a, the brown pilot's uniform and it just looks clean and uh. cool. He looks really cool. He can it. make a trash bag look good though. Let's he's be not. Oh, Paul Rudd, so handsome. Yeah. Did you guys know? Sorry to cut into your time, Joe, but we got to talk no, about this. Great. There is a there is a subset of people who hate Anne Hathaway and they think she's the worst. And there is a similar subset of people who feel the same way about Paul Rudd. Your thoughts? <laughs> Disgust. I love them both. So, Joseph, I, this is what I know about your book. It's yep. sad. Um, there mm-hmm. is an orphanage, and yep. that so that's probably it has to do with it. The sadness. Yep, a lot of sadness at orphanages and in young love. Yeah. So. So as I said, did I get any of that right? You got a lot of it right. It is sad. There are orphanages. There's definitely young love. Um, There's also like old love and all sorts of different love love. and heartbreak. Oh, (laughs) disgusting love, wrinkly. The grossest kind of love. Rustly. (laughs) Tell us about your wrinkly love story. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, as I was, as I was introing, I was, you know, I, I say this, you know, you princes of Maine, you Kings of new England. And I, it's something from the book. It's something from the movie. I you might so. remember. Yeah. And I was going to say like, like Ian, you Prince of Reno, you King of Nevada, but that yeah. really has a different ring to it. It sure it? does. It sounds like I'm a skeezy brothel owner slash gambler. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like, or like Nick, you Prince of Milwaukee, you King of Wisconsin. Right. I love it actually. No, that's actually well, kind of cool. No, that's fine. Okay. You Prince of Milwaukee. I, yeah. you King Beautiful of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, hey Joe, what's your book about? Yeah. Okay. Let me give you a, a few plot points. Could be here. nice place. Yeah. Our main character is a guy named Homer Wells. And Homer Wells is an orphan. Oh, um, like from the Odyssey, like from the Odyssey. Yes. Oh, it starts. This book starts when Homer's a baby. He's just a little baby. He almost gets adopted a couple of times, but he's always brought back for like a variety of reasons. Like people bring him home and they're like, this baby's weird. He doesn't cry. Or this baby's weird. He cries too much. Yeah. Like I want a cuter baby. And they bring him back to the orphanage. He has too many teeth and they wiggle. (laughs) Well, and eventually Homer Wells, like he kind of ages out of adoption. Like he still Mm, lives at the orphanage, but he gets a little bit too old to actually get adopted. Oh, he's no longer the cute puppy. He's not the cute puppy anymore. Mm, Um, So he needs to make himself useful. Sexier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not useful for purposes of getting adopted. Okay, so he no longer wants to be adopted. He's not wearing like loose clothing or anything. No, he's like given it. He's like given up on adoption. He's like, well, looks like I'm going to be hanging around here for a little while. I should probably figure out like how to make myself useful. So he starts assisting the doctor who runs the place. Um, The doctor is a big character, uh, Dr. Larch. He runs the place. And basically this doctor does two different things at the orphanage um, as a doctor. Like he, he obviously administers the orphanage and takes care of orphans and things like that. Um, he also but, talks like this. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't talk like that. He's, he won a best, he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He has a very good accent in this movie. Oh, he won an Academy Award for Best Change of Accent. So basically, women come to this orphanage to do two things. Number one, they come to this orphanage to deliver babies that they don't want. Okay. Right? So they show up. He helps them deliver the baby. They give it up to the orphanage, and the woman goes away. Joe, what year does this book take place? Uh, this book, this book takes place in the 1940s. It actually spans quite a bit of time. It spans from pre-World War II to post-World War II. But um, the first half of this book is firmly in the 1940s. Joe, I'm sorry to, yes. to jump ahead here, but mm-hmm. the, the structure of this sounds concerningly familiar. 
Okay. The way that it kind of begins and mm-hmm. kind of unfolds the story of his life. It sounds oh, like- one second. I ding, 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 ding. Ian. <laughs> Familiar. Nick, do you remember what a buildings Roman is? Mm. Nice. I sure, <laughs> I sure do, Joe. I, <laughs> I love those books. <laughs> yeah, this this book is totally a buildings roman. It's totally a coming of age. Oh, it follows shit. Homer Wells from him being a baby, a, a literal baby, up until him being like a, a man firmly, firmly, firmly in his adulthood. A lot of it is around like when he's 16, 17 years old. How's one firmly in his adulthood? Oh, well, put it this way. Do you know how like sometimes you like you get to be like 18 years old and you're like, I don't feel like an adult. And then you get to be like 22 years old and you're like, I don't feel like an adult. And then you get to be 28 years old and you don't feel like an adult. Well, Nick, sometimes in my, sometime in my thirties, I looked around and I thought, oh shit, I feel like an adult. Mm. (laughs) Like it happened. I don't know when it happened, but it happened. You said to yourself, I'm firmly an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys feel like adults or no? Uh, Only when I'm around people that are younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) true yes i feel like an adult when i i have to do adult things like attend funerals of dead grandparents or pay taxes schedule yeah like schedule home maintenance i'm like what is this okay so i mean we're getting new windows and i couldn't be more excited (laughs) (laughs) no no but but then you stop you stop and look at yourself and he's like why are you jumping up and down and giggling like a school child because of new double glazed French windows. Oh, and you're man, like, oh, yeah. that's why. Right. It's because I grow old. Uh, so, Joe, is the Cider House, does that have glazed windows? Can you list the Cider right. House rules? I assume it does there are not rules have, that are It has like wooden rules. shutters. Rule number mostly. one, only unavoidable birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> little known fact, that's where we got these. It's very important that I talk about the second thing that Dr. Larch does. Oh. Uh, he delivers babies for women that do not want them. He also, kind of against his will initially, and then like willingly afterwards, performs abortions for women that do not want their babies. Okay, um, and it's it's really this central mm, decision that that a lot of this book ends up revolving around. Um, abortions are illegal at the time. Um, Doctor Doctor Larch gets a lot of criticism. He kind of secretly does it, but it's kind of an open secret. Like the hospital board kind of knows that he does it. Um, the local communities kind of know that he does it. It's it's like the worst kept secret in town. Right. Yeah. They're kind of illegal now because this country is a fucking shithole. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, OK, so that's is that what's the I mean, ugh, that's some conflict is what's like the yeah. conflict in the book? Like what's what's going on? Yeah. So so essentially what's going on is Homer Wells wants to like he's growing up. He's like um, assisting this doctor. He learns how to deliver babies. He learns how to perform abortions with this doctor, decides he doesn't like doing it right and stops performing abortions. So like, like Homer Wells will help you deliver a baby. Homer Wells will not help you perform an abortion. After that, Homer Mm -hmm. Wells, like the Dr. Larch is kind of grooming him to take over and be the next doctor at the orphanage. And Homer Wells is like, I don't know if I really want to do that. Like I've only ever lived at this orphanage. I want to go out and and find myself. I want to go out and sow my oats. I want to go out and live a little bit. And one day, a beautiful young couple uh, named Paul Red, Paul Rudd and Charlize Theron show beautiful. up. Um, wow. Yeah, beautiful you young couple. They're so beautiful. They just like showed up. Do you think that the, okay, so like there are modern actors who have those names. Do you think the modern actors are based on these historical figures? Don't <laughs> ask, Just don't answer. Just keep going. 
Um, and and Homer talks them into taking him with them. So Homer leaves the orphanage, um, goes with these two. No? This is all actually relatively early in this book. This book's like a thousand pages long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he talks about it and he starts working on the orchard farm of um, Wally, Paul Rudd's character in the movie, Wally in the book. Um, he starts working on Wally's parents' orchard farm and he loves it and he's good at it and he digs it and he enjoys it and all those things. Um, Is that the cider house? That's the cider there house. There we Nick. go. He Bingo. starts sleeping Finally. in the cider house. Yes. Finally. Hey, Joe. Yes. Yes. There's a little bit of mimesis here where uh-huh. I feel like the long wait to get to the cider house is mm-hmm. mimicked by the, our, our long wait to find out what these rules are. Oh, God. Well, you guys were interrupted. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Can you tell us how many hundred pages it is into the book before someone finally walks into the cider house, oh stands around, crosses his arms on his chest, sniffs the air and says, <laughs> dang, the cider house rules. <laughs> Okay, Ian, have you ever read John Irving before? Like, have you read Prayer for Owen Meaning, World According to Garp? That is a no for me, dog. Okay, and I had only read The World According to Garp. But yeah, thanks, hey, Nick, Nick, for that Have input. you ever read any John Irving, The World According to Garp? I do like the word <laughs> Garp. Good, it's, good word. it's great. It's great. Hey, Joe, why didn't, you bring, why didn't you bring the Garp house rules? I assume um, you wrote that. The Garp World According to Garp time. is not set in Maine, and we have a theme ah, this week, gentlemen. No. <laughs> um, so, so, Ian... This is kind of how John Irving writes his novels. This novel is long. It's a thousand pages long. And when you're in this novel, it's it's immersive. Like it's more immersive than any book I've read in a really long time. It feels like you know these people. These these characters are totally round and totally dynamic and totally interesting and totally like lifelike. But it's also like it's plotted, but it's not quickly plotted. Mm. Um, I was reading an interview with John Irving and he kind of it was um it was in the paris review and and he was talking about like how he writes novels and he said he's like look people sometimes call me a contemporary writer because i'm a popular novelist in the 20th century he says but i'm really not a 20th century novelist right like i i don't write like 20th century novelists do i write like 19th century novelists do and do you know what it's like nick no do you know how sometimes you watch a movie from the 50s okay right or the or the 40s like some old black and white movie that's really good right like casablanca hitchcock right like it's really good it's really interesting you love being in it but it's not like movies today yeah Pace, right. pacing's different uh the citizen to- tones Kane. citizen yes. kane's a great example because like that movie it's mesmerizing but it's so slow it's oh, so i disagree slow. i just watched it recently i think it it holds up better than so many other old movies. Yeah. Th- that's how this book feels. Like this <laughs> book <Idiot>. feels like <laughs> watching. <laughs> well, that's how this book feels. This book feels like watching an old movie where you're like, boy, this is not what I'm used to reading, but it is undeniably so, so good. So do people have to read this like in the fall? I feel like this is a good fall book. The, the fall would be really would be nice. Idyllic. Yeah, it would be idyllic. Um, it does take place over not just one year and hit all the seasons, but many years. But Maine feels a little autumnal, doesn't okay. it? Get on a plane. Flatheads. Get on a plane. Go to Maine. That rhymed. Joe, you haven't told us what the rules are. The Oh, okay. 
when Homer goes to the um, bunkhouse, there's this list of rules posted on the wall. And when he's living in this bunkhouse, he's working with migrant labor. Like these men would come up, they'd be here for the season. They are almost entirely African-Americans and they're almost entirely illiterate. Okay. So there's this list of rules posted on the bunkhouse and somebody says, Homer, can you read those rules to us? And he starts reading them, right? And it's like stuff that you would imagine. Hey, keep your dirty shoes off the bed and stuff like that, right? And he gets about two items into this list and the foreman, right, who is also a black man, who is also illiterate, comes in and says, ah, 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 ah. He says, don't read those rules to us. He says, we can't read those. They were put there by somebody who was not us, who doesn't live here, those rules do not apply to us, right? Like the person that wrote those rules is not one of us. We have no reason to adhere to them. And there's this question in the middle of the book from the Cider House, from Dr. Larch um, performing these illegal, but maybe moral abortions, right? Of, of, hey, to what to what extent, using Ian's phrase here, right? Like, to what extent do we have to follow rules that don't make sense for this situation? And John Irving, he provides like a really nice balance. Look at it. Like, I think it's like pretty interesting. I think you could come into this and say like, hey, I came into this book pro-choice. I am reaffirmed in that decision. Like Dr. Larch is a moral character. I'm leaving this book pro-choice. I think you could also come into this and being like, hey, I'm relatively pro-life. And like, does Dr. Larch perform abortions? Sure. But here we also have this main character named Homer Wells, who like is interesting and dynamic and loves his life. Like, isn't that a pro-life argument for Homer Wells, uh, despite him not getting adopted? So there is kind of this moral question at the middle of the book of we have these rules imposed on us by the outside. Do we have to follow rules that don't make sense? Okay, so I was just reading about how Thomas Jefferson thought we should destroy the Constitution every 20 years because <laughs> old people shouldn't be making the rules for young people. Mm -hmm. I think he worded Good. it differently. Your thoughts, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer any questions, and then I have an activity that we could finish with. I don't have any questions. I don't have any questions. All right. There's a lot of I sorry, I have one question. Book. Yes. So help me. Are you going to make us do group work? Because I refuse. To no, do it's not group work. This is, an, this is individual. And then you were going to pair and share. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of orphans in this book. And when you work at an orphanage that delivers these Which babies and they're immediately surrendered, you have to name the orphans. So oh the nurses take turns naming the orphans and they come up with like all sorts of like systems and fun ways to name them. Guys, today I want to know what is your orphan name? And I'm going to give you some examples, and then I'm going to give you a formula to build your orphan name. Okay? Okay. So, Homer Wells is our main character. There's another main character named Fuzzy Stone. Okay? Fuzzy Stone. There's another one named Snowy Fields. Okay. These are terrible names. Okay, keep going. Well, they're pretty good orphan names. Okay. This is the formula for your orphan name. First name is a pet that you've had and loved. Your first name is a nah, pet I've name. I've heard this. This is how you're going to steal our identities. <laughs> <laughs> your second name is the first four digits of your social security. He's <laughs> hacking our passwords right now. <laughs> first name is a pet name. It could be a pet from any time that you've had. The last name is a good, no-nonsense noun. So this is like, like proto-Indo-European language, right? So these are words with like, like 
ash or black or bark or or uh, spit or worm or mouse or nose or bear or lamb or brew, right? Like this is a good noun. So pet name, good no nonsense noun. Nick is thinking, Litheads, let me narrate this for you. Nick is thinking, Ian looks like he has one. I think, I think My I'm good. first dog was named Uzo after the Greek liquor because we're Greek. And that's, I think, classic. maybe as I say it out loud, the Greekest thing that <laughs> I, can, I can say right now. Yep. Um, so I, I'd just be called Uzo Uzo. Uzo is, I don't, okay, good, Nick. Like the liquor, good. Joe? Sure, I get it. It's but your last game. name's like a common noun. That's common. In Greece? For sure, it is. And All like right. the liquor cabinets of Greek people? Yeah, you bet. Where's this orphanage? Is it in Greece? Um, it, it's in Maine. <laughs> oh, because Maine we... A lot right. of Greek people in Maine, though. because the, the Huge population. Sure, because the ocean. Yeah, yeah, the ocean. I, yeah. Ian, you have one? Yeah, so my first um, my first pet was named Paddle Smith. It's <laughs> <laughs> not my a joke, you son normal of a thing around the house is like a water, like a water <laughs> lieutenant or a water captain. So I would have to say my orphan name would be Paddlesmith Water Captain. Oh my god. I was gonna say tugboat Joe. You get you guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you both. This is the worst part of my week. <laughs> General Hams, well, I think we learned a lot about Maine today. I think um, it's, uh, you know, another notch in our belt. Two down, 48 to go. 48. We're cruising through these. We, we are. We're almost halfway done. Joe, you lose. Um, uh, it, my book was so long. I'd like to appeal. My book was a thousand <laughs> pages long. <laughs> no, that's, that's a non-factor. That's your choice. Um, there it is. There it is. Um, so... It sounded good, Joe, but it didn't have boats in it. <laughs> and uh, boats sound fun. Oh, boats man. are fun. Yeah, boats are fun. Okay. All right, uh, Lidheads, um, I'm, I'm sorry I've let you down uh, once again. again. Um, once again. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Lidheads, if, if you aren't interested in John Irving and, and you don't think that sounds like it, I do recommend the movie, The Cider House Rules. I watched it for the first time this week, and I thought it was super good and super interesting and had lots of really good actors in it. Um, <laughs> uh, more importantly, though, if you like our podcast, um, which is... Let's be real. If you're still listening, we think you, you probably might. do. You might. <laughs> um, you can support it by heading on over to you don't know lit podcast.com, suggesting a theme, suggesting a book. We read all of your recommendations. Otherwise, tell a bookish friend, right? Like that friend that you you talk about books with, tell, talk about podcast with them. Um, and of course, you can always leave a review on the podcast player of your choice. Five stars. If you please. Congratulations, Ian. And congratulations, John McPhee for John a McPhee. big win. Um, another as, big win for John. Another big win which for John McPhee. It's actually his first win because the first uh, time the yeah, first time he, we brought him it was a cop out. Oh, okay. that's right. Congrats. Congrats, John McPhee. Well and on, John. on your retirement from this show. <laughs> All right. I am going to read a quote from the passage about the loon because this... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus why Christ. is that funny? Because uh, it couldn't be more boring, Joe. I don't. If you don't know why that's not funny, oh god. Well, and this is this is a, a microcosm of what McPhee can do. Oh, show. McPhee, McPhee sees McPhee's. McPhee's. <laughs> uh oh, somebody just poops. got a new nickname at the cider house. 
McPhee and his his canoe pals see a loon and so of course being the discursive writer he is McPhee has, has to tell us about it and he describes the loon the loon's call and he watches the loon dive under the water and eat a bunch of fish then he, he, he describes it he concludes this section as follows yeah. he the loon he is up again now not far from where he disappeared when a loon dives you never know where to look for him next in what seems no time. He may break the surface far down the lake, or he may come up where he made his dive. This one is not about to go far. He is too interested in us. He cruises now with only his head and neck above the water, his conning tower. If something scares him, he can swim with only his beak out, a straw in the air, invisible if there's a ripple on the lake. Now his body is up again, and he laughs. If the laugh were human, it would be a laugh of the deeply insane. The bird's lower jaw opens and claps shut five times in each laugh. If from where you watch he is swimming in silhouette, you can count the movements. He can laugh two or three ways, and he can also squeal like a puppy, but it is with another sound, a long cry in the still of the night, that the loon authenticates the northern lake. The cry is made with neck stretched forward, and it is a sound that seems to have come up a tube from an unimaginably deep source, hardly from a floating bird. It is a high, resonant, single, unvaried tone that fades at the end toward a lower register. It has caused panic because it has been mistaken for the cry of a wolf, but it is far too ghostly for that. It is detached from the earth. The Crees believe that it was the cry of a dead warrior forbidden entry to heaven. The Chippewyans heard it as an augury of death. Whatever it may portend, it is the predominant sound in this country. Every time the loon cry comes, it sketches its own surroundings. A remote lake under stars so bright they whiten clouds. A horizon jagged with spruce. Spruce. 